Psalm chapter 147, the 147th Psalm, and we're going to read verses 3 and 4 of that Psalm, and then we'll go ahead and get started. Um, In verse 3 and 4, the psalmist writes, in very familiar words, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the starves. He gives to all of them their names. Um, I want to... I guess in, in, in what we've been studying, this is the last stop. But in some ways, this is, in many ways, the most important stop. Uh, I just want to say first, just the Lord offers to each of us the benefit of His might and power, and He does this by way of our, uh, of our blood-bought salvation. It is by virtue of being a uh, born-again child of God, we now have access to, to everything that He is. And so I think that's important, not because I think oftentimes we, we, we face this um, in, in maybe ways of ambition, but I think this is for times of trouble. I want to say this into your life today, um, in no other power than I have than just simply to parrot those words that our Lord has already transcribed upon both the Holy Scriptures and the hearts and minds of His church. But to say that because I know that we face, many of us face, face horrible challenges. And in the midst of those challenges, we need to always remember that we have on our side the power, the infinite power of the triune God. We are not fighting these, these tiny little skirmishes that are our lives um, without being empowered. He is with us literally um, every day. He is with us in, in every moment. Um, and I think that the best way of me thinking about it, just as I talk right now, is how many times has God been with me when I was catastrophically wrong? Do I mean... I was I missed it. He wanted me to turn right, and I turned left. And as I've illustrated before, um, I think the way most Christians think of it is God is telling us to turn right, and we think turning left and going as fast as we can is the same thing as turning right. We think God's going to do what we want Him to do, even if He tells us to do one thing, and we want to, for whatever reason, we can't bring ourselves to do it. It violates some, some other principle that's not God-centered that we have. And we think, well, I'll just do this over here, and that God will somehow endorse that. And, and we know, simply put, biblically, God doesn't, doesn't reason and rationalize with His servants. He's a king. He makes commands. And that's what He does. And I can either do what He says or be wicked and disobedient. How many times God was merciful and blessed me even when I was wicked and disobedient? I should have gotten so much worse than I really got. It should have been so much worse. I should have lost everything. And His mercy just simply outshined my sin. His power blessed me when I didn't deserve the blessings of that power. I don't mean when I'm struggling and I'm I'm getting kind of close to the mark, Roger. I mean when I'm I'm a thousand miles off. And He doesn't give me the worst that, that my, to be honest with you, that my behavior demands. I said this, we're not cowering at the foot of some idol, but calling upon the infinitely attentive God of our salvation who will not and cannot 
ignore the pleas of His people. That when I cry out to God, God listens. Now, I've said this a lot, and I want everybody here to understand, maybe it's because of my own limitations. I think it's because so many people are like this that I need to say it this way. There are a lot of people that I know that are just unbelievably wonderful people. I love, I just have a deep love for them, and we, 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 we get along famously. But they have this thing which they say, and I probably think this way, just don't enunciate it as often as they do. We said, you know, I really am I'm, try to be a good person, but you know, when somebody just you know crosses me, I'm just done with them. You ever hear anybody say that? I'm just through with them. Our God's not that way. Because every right to be, I have no right to be. If I'm like that, I've got no right to be. Because as I've said, I think, I'll say, well, they lied to me. Somebody lied to me, so therefore I'm through with them because I just can't stand a liar. But if I'm really honest, I've lied so many times. In fact, I'm lying about lying because I've really lied way more times than I can even admit. I think I'm so truthful. The reality is I am addicted to lies as virtually every human being is. In fact, I bet we lie so much, sometimes we do it and we realize we're doing it. What is technically a lie. But once again, I can't be mad at Pansy if she is untruthful with me because I've actually done that. God, on the other hand, has never lied. He's never done anything, ever broken an iota of His law. Lived through God the Son, Jesus Christ, triumphantly in this world, without sin, and yet does not hold it against us when we're weak and we sin. He's every right to. The only person we know that has the right to be stubborn and hard towards sin is God. And while he always, Joseph, he always calls sin, sin, and he never wavers on it, praise God that his mercy is greater than his wrath. Where we are concerned. Because I earn it. I earn his wrath. Look, the Lord hears us in our greatest times of need. Now that's what I want to get through to you first and foremost. That in our greatest times of need, He hears us. Now, as I was writing that, um, and I was looking at it weeks and weeks ago, because it take us a while to get through, I went back to where I had looked in this passage in my Bible, and I wrote, I need this, my family needs this. Now, I don't often share with you my little inner secrets and stuff like that. I'm, that's not me. I'm, that, I'm, I'm too awkward and weird for that kind of stuff, okay? But when I read that, I realized that is exactly the mindset that not just we have to talk about within this family of God, but I think locally on the micro level within my own family. We need, we have great times of need, and we need... God to hear us in those great times of need. I mean, and we also we say the same thing, don't we? You know, there's somebody out there that suffers so much worse than you do. Right? Right? Intellectually, we know this, right? But it doesn't feel like it when you're going through it, does it? It doesn't. You know, intellectually, you know there are people out there that have got it so much worse than you do. Financially, relationally, emotionally, um, in terms of physical health, everything they have is just on the ragged edge, right? 
We know this. But when you're going through something, Mr. Lord, you understand somebody's worse off, but that doesn't lessen your suffering, does it? No. It doesn't. You know it's true. We know it's true. But the reality is, in the depths of our suffering, we need our God. In the depths of our suffering, we need the promises of a God that sticks closer than a brother. We need that. We don't just need to intellectually know it. This is where it gets strange. Please don't, don't tune me out. Brian, we do need to feel it, don't we? We need that, that essential connection between us and God. We don't just need to intellectually know He's on our side. We need to feel His presence. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's the heart and the soul of the Christian faith. Is that simple, finite, often wrong, wicked, disobedient people can come together in the presence of God and literally feel the presence of God. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing out there or radical about that. It is what we have always wanted. It is nothing more than exactly the same emotion that had John leaned back on his chest. He knew whose chest he was leaning against. He knew. He needed to feel his Lord. He believed his Lord when he spoke of the tribulations that would come. He needed his God. So, so I, I'm, I'm glad that we talk about this way because I don't know what's going on in your life. Sometimes I don't even know what's going on in my life, to be honest with you. Most of the time we don't know about the storm until it hits, right? It's too late. It's too late then. But we know He hears us. No prayer goes unheard and every answer is exactly what the sovereignty of God and the needs of the time demand. Every answer is. Now that's another thing that we have to intellectually grasp and emotionally and spiritually we're going to come to grips with over time is the idea not that God says no to prayers. Because I put it that way. In fact, while our Lord offers loving no's, He does. There are times when Kimberly, I want God so desperately to do this one thing. This one thing. And of course, I always feel something like, I've never asked for anything. I'm asking for this. And really, I ask for my heart to beat every day. And my lungs to fill with air and all that stuff to work. Which in people sometimes fails, right? A little 13-year-old girl in New York died of an asthma attack. Right? He was on Broadway and stuff like that. Died of an asthma attack. I've had asthma since I was two weeks old. So, even in little... Young people, they can be here one minute and just gone the next. So I want him in that way. I do. But what I'm insinuating here, what I'm, what I'm saying here is this, is that when God says no, it's not just because God is sovereign over that event. It's because no is the right answer. No is the blessing. Yes would be the curse. Now, it's hard to look at that because here's what I want to say. This is the hard part. Take that idea that God's, God's answer to our prayers is always exactly what we need and extrapolate that to things like, like 
like sickness. How many people pray to be made well? Churches are full of people that pray to be made well. And that if God's answer is always the holy and infinitely right answer, that means God is going to look at us one of these days and we're going to want to be made well. We're going to pray for healing. God's answer is going to be a loving no, not just because He's sovereign, because to to heal me would be wrong. Would be the wrong answer. The unloving answer, Joseph. Now once again, embracing this is hard because we, Diane, we know intellectually, intellectually, that one of these days He's going to say no to us in terms of healing and we're going to pass and then the next thing's going to be the feet of Jesus, right? And we're not going to sit there thinking, man, I wish I could go back to my old body. You know, my back hasn't hurt in like five seconds and I wish I could go back and just hurt a little bit more. No, no. We're not. Nobody who is divorced from the catastrophe of sin that is the aging and sickened body sits in the presence of Jesus and thinks, man, I wish I could go back to that sick body. The eternally young don't want to go back and be old. The eternally well don't want to go back and be sick. Nobody. They are... Happy in a way, Melanie, that can only be measured as infinitely happy. Right? Because now their joy reflects the presence of an infinitely beautiful and holy God. Right? That's what their joy does. So, so no, they don't want that. So that no, Miss Diane, we get back to would be the blessing, right? Better. I wanted something different. It would have been better to be with Jesus. I can make myself Hezekiah. Remember Hezekiah's prayer, Brian? Where he, was, he, was, he had an infection and he prayed because he, he was selfish. He didn't have a male heir. Right? Now I've told you this story a thousand times. He was, he, was, he was sick. He didn't have a male heir. He had an infection. People died of infection. Until the 20th century, people died of infection. Until we got penicillin, infections killed everybody, Right? So he was going to die from this infection. And he prayed and cried and acted like a baby. And God healed him, gave him 15 more years. He had, he had a son, Manasseh. The worst king that Israel would ever have. The most ungodly man to ever sit on, the, on, on any throne anywhere. Would he have been better off being in the presence of Jesus? Are living and having a child that would curse the very people he loved. The Bible gives us some very tough examples, doesn't it? Tough examples. And I'm not scared of those, okay? And we don't need to be. So we know that God's sovereignty always means that the way he answers prayers are right every time, especially when we don't get what we want. But now, what else? Um, While our Lord offers loving no's, never are we far from His mind or heart, and never does the world have power over us. Though we may not understand or appreciate His answer, we can and must trust that He gives perfect answers in a perfect time to bring out His perfect will. Every time, Cassie, every time I pray, my God gives a prayer. My prayer is flawed. His answer is perfect. Every time. Aubrey, even if I don't get it. 
Let me say something else. Even if I never get it. If Brenda, I live the rest of my life out and I still struggle with regret and disappointment over one thing or one prayer. People do that, don't they? People can come to that crossroads in their life when things just do not manifest the way they really, they were so prayer invested for them to manifest. And what happens? We spend the rest of our lives dealing with that. I don't mean we turn bitter deep down, but I do mean we struggle with it, right? We all understand struggles, don't we? We all understand regrets and disappointments, don't we? All of us. Even when that happens, His answers are still perfect. Consequently, we can trust our God to lead us into work and service which glorifies Him and challenges us. And I think this is where I want to kind of land. The first was just about that kind of that variety of times in which we are going to need Him desperately. In which we're going to, Lucas, we're going to pray for Him, pray to Him for things that, that, that no one globally would argue that's a matter of prayer. Sickness, Stephen. Real life-threatening illness. We have it going on in our church right now, don't we? And we pray for these individuals and these families and we continue to lift them up. At the same time, none of us thinks they shouldn't be praying about this, do we? They should be surrendering this to God. Pray about it. We absolutely understand that. But I'm, I won't, don't want to just go to that. I want to look at, at, at something else. And what I think is this, is, is vocationally. Despite our limitations, our Lord has the power to overcome shortcomings and produce titanic works, excuse me, in average people. Here's where, I'm, here's where my heart was drawn about this. It's so, it can be so difficult within the body of believers to find that, that kind of vocational fulfillment. What I mean, what I mean um, is, is, Katie, what I'm supposed to do with my time in Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, who am I? Joseph, who am I? Who am I supposed to be? And I know I'm the preacher and everybody says, well, you're the preacher, you got that. No, I don't. Not at all. And I'll tell you why. Because this kind of arm flapping, sort of, you know, manic kind of stuff. I'm not saying this is good, but I was kind of cut out to do this part. There's some parts of it I'm not cut out to do. At all. Hey, anybody here ever, I guess we'll go. Anybody here ever feel pressure to, to go out and publicly witness? You're in the church, of course you do. Everybody does. That's all we talk about. And we'll say things like, man, if you don't witness to your, to, your, to your waitress, well, you know, I guess you just don't care if she goes to hell or not. And I'm like, Dude, have you ever never heard that? Don't act like you haven't. I've never said it, but people say that trash all the time. And everybody who says it is always that kind of person that doesn't mind doing it. I've said before, they need to get them some, some, like, some, some Amway, if that stuff still exists, and make a billion dollars. Because they would talk to anybody. They could, sell, they could sell an ice cream popsicle to a woman in white gloves. They are just that kind of person. 
Jesus didn't change their heart and make them like that. They came out of their mama just like that. He has co-opted that into His kingdom. He has taken charge of that. But then there's that person over in, in the corner that's scared to talk to their relatives. I don't mean about Jesus. I mean about anything. They are bashful, shy people. Do you know what I mean by this? They are not like that. They are quiet by nature. Well, no. I would, I, would, I would challenge that they really do go here. You just can't hear them talk because the other half's talking so much. You know what I mean? And I'll be quite blunt with you. As I've said, one of those things that when, when my family was put together by the Lord, um, He knew what He was doing. Obviously He did, but infinitely He did. Because in so many ways, we're kind of alike in this one issue. Um, I'll, use, I'll use Caleb for an example. Most of you will never hear his voice, right? But at home he never shuts up. When he's around people he's comfortable with, he shows out, doesn't he? He entertains when he's around people he's comfortable with. But it takes a while for him to get comfortable. Once he gets comfortable, he's funny. He's funny. You saw the, little, the video on the band. He's funny. He can imitate people and things like that. We usually imitates Brian imitating people, but it's kind of the same thing. His Kyle imitation is really Brian's imitation of Kyle. He's doing his imitation of Kyle imitating Brian. That's what he does. It's better than the real Kyle. Because he looks so much like him. But, but here's the thing. Is that most of us, I think, are like that, aren't we? Once we get to know everybody, we're open and we're, we're like that. A lot of people are not like, just aren't, we don't have, um, we don't have, Kimberly, that kind of con. We just walk up to somebody and just start a conversation. I bet, the, I bet 80, 90, 95% of the church, Joseph's wired like that and not the other way. So for that 5% that always does all the, well, if you look, if you really love the Lord, you'll go do this. Well, it's easy for you. I would say, are you scared of snakes? If you really love the Lord, you'll grab that snake. I know it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a church kind of parallel to it, but the reality is this. If you really love the Lord, you'll overcome all your fears. The problem is their fear is not speaking. Right? They have no fear of it. So there's not any sacrifice. So here's the thing. And I think that's one of the things we've got to address in the church. It doesn't mean, Jane, that you and I do not have a mandate from the Scripture to go forth and publicly share the Gospel. We do. But we better start being honest about how people really are in the faith. And to be honest with you, how much power it takes from God to get those, those awkward and scared people to overcome that greatest fear they have and go forth armed with the gospel and do it. And we need to stop acting like it's no big deal. Because if people act like it's no big deal, it isn't any big deal because they're just not wired like that. And listen, this is what... Listen, um, Adam S. McHugh, he wrote this book. In his, he wrote a book. It was Introverts in the Church, Finding Our Place in an Extroverted Culture. Because to be honest with you, the church is led by extroverts. The church is led by obnoxious extroverts. People that for whom, you know, they love to talk to themselves. They love the sound of their voice. I mean, our guys can be. I'm joking. Seriously. 
I'm talking about, look at the broader church. Seriously, look at the broader church. Look at the big names in the church. Do you think those guys go home and worry about what people think about? I think, I, look, if you've ever met anybody close, I don't mean the, Brian, we've never met the big wigs. But I've met some of those guys close. They are confident people. Confident at the point of being a little obnoxious about it. We have a church that is led right now that's led by the camera, that's led by the podcast, that's led by, by extroverts, by people who, who don't mind that. Who, who, to be honest with you, many of them were looking, Nanny, for a little stardom. And once again, I don't mean here. I mean the big church, the broad church. I mean the names we all might know who write the books. John MacArthur's not going home biting his fingernails to the quick because he's scared of the crowd. It's just not. How do we plug in, Mama Jen, people that aren't wired like that in a culture that glorifies being a certain way? A church culture that glorifies being a certain way. He said this, um, um, McHugh said, he said, I'd like to think that the work of God might be displayed through my introversion and not despite it. Now, I took that to mean this. Now, once again, it's not Scripture, it's just a guy's opinion. That there is, Jay, a place for all of us. You are not plugged in this body of believers accidentally, but you're plugged in this body of believers absolutely on purpose by the will of God, by His power, and that it is a reason for you, and it does not recall, require this radical overhauling of your personality. You don't have to pretend to be me to be found pleasing to God. You don't have to put on your best Tony impression to be found pleasing. Stephen could be pleasing to God as Stephen with that personality. doesn't make it perfect, Stephen. It doesn't mean you don't ever change anything. It means that God wants to use who you are right now sanctified. Sanctified for His glory. That's what He wants. Instead of you trying to pretend to be somebody you are not, being the person you are, set apart for the glory of God, underneath His power, utilized as you were created. As a pastor and leader within the church, I often feel the pressure of having to be like someone else, more preacherly. Brian, you ever feel like you're supposed to be like that? Look, especially those guys from the past that you knew. My goodness, it's so hard. Because they feel so dignified. And y'all know me, I'm not dignified. The minute I tried, literally, you know, I'd, I'd stumble. The minute, Kimberly, I tried to be somebody else, all my awkwardness would just show. It would just magnify it. More preacherly, more fun or humorous are more serious. Are more serious. Now that's just me. I feel the pressure that I'm supposed to be one way and I'm not, I can't be that way. That my nature can be to be very fun and humorous. Usually accidentally, like in this sermon. Total accidents. All the time. But when really, I'm oftentimes too serious. But that's my nature. My nature is emotional. My nature is passionate. More learned. 
are competent in certain disciplines. Now, now I would dispute some of these simply because, Joseph, this is, a, this is the plowman's faith. The universities grew up out of the Christian faith, to be honest with you, but it was never meant to be a doctoral faith. It was always meant, Brian, to be preached by, by men like you and I who, who are self-educated, who are qualified for the pastorate because we, we slave over the Word, not because somebody else tried to teach it to us. So that Brian and I will stop studying when our hearts stop beating. We'll stop trying to learn when that happens. More talented. Though I know that the Lord never, never settles for defects in our personalities. Instead, He changes them. I mean the defects. I've got a temper. God wages war against my temper. I tend to be forlorn. And I mean I tend to get down on myself. To be, as we're talking about tonight, Brian, not, not a constructive critic of myself, but a condemner of myself. You're terrible. Why would anybody ever follow you? Why do you even try? Ever be like that? We all understand it. We all understand it. Changes that. Burn off the dross, Brother Mike. Do you understand what I mean? I mean, the things that are never going to glorify Him, He wages war against. But He still takes those, that unique quality in each of our personalities. And Brian, he, he, he uses it for His good. At the same time, our Lord knows us deeply, intimately, and He is never shocked by what He finds. I th just, these are my own words. But I still go back over them and I think to myself, God, I'm so thankful. He didn't get a hold of me or you one night and, 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 and claim our hearts and they come to find out later, Ryan, that we're just sour. Oh, I can't work with that guy. God never says that. I say that. We say that. We run to personality conflicts. God, buddy, knew exactly what he was getting when he called me and you. Everything good and everything bad. It's not a mystery. He doesn't shake his head or throw, you know, throw his arms up. He doesn't do that. He knew exactly what he was getting. He did not make a mistake. The joys of the kingdom are so great. Its demand so colossal that even skillless men like me can find a productive place in it. So there's a final one. Besides the fact that we surrender the, all the, to, to the, this wonderful, helping, maker God, we surrender every great challenge. At the same time, the call, the final call is that we surrender that daily call to Him. Roger, who are we supposed to be in Christ? What are we supposed to be doing with our lives? What makes every day precious, Pansy? Every day precious. Every week, every month, every meeting, what makes that precious? We surrender that daily too. We can do that. We can find a productive place. Not just me, but you too. 
Let's pray. Father God, I thank you and I love you and I adore you, Father God, and I ask you, please, God, that you would bless us now. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for uh, for allowing me to preach through this, Father. I pray, God, that I've done so rightly. And I pray now, Father God, that you'll guide my heart to the next step, where we go next in this Bible study. I thank you, Lord, for everything you've done, but more than anything else, Father God, I thank you for the gift of Christ Jesus, whose precious blood, Father God, has saved us from our sin, Father God, has washed us clean from... Uh, from uh, the stain of transgression, Father God, and is now, Father God, has called us, Lord, to a brand new life in you, Lord. I love you and I thank you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you all so much.